Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volur xc For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I couldn't believe it when I heard the news about Larry Doyle Sanders. I've known him for years, and while he's always been a little eccentric, I never thought he was capable of something like this. It all started with the fishing trip. Larry and his friend Jimmy Knighton went noodling on the South Canadian River last Saturday. I wasn't there, but I heard from others that something went wrong. A confrontation occurred, and Jimmy didn't make it out alive. When authorities questioned Larry about what happened, His story was even more bizarre than anyone could have imagined. He claimed that Jimmy was planning to feed him to Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot. According to the affidavit obtained by the Oklahoman, Larry said that Jimmy, 
intended to feed him to Sasquatch Bigfoot. Larry believed that Jimmy was trying to escape so that Sasquatch could eat him. He couldn't let that happen, so he punched and struck Jimmy with a stick, and they fought on the ground for an extended period of time. It's hard to know what to believe. Did Larry really think Jimmy was trying to feed him to Sasquatch? Or was it just an excuse for his violent behavior? Either way, it's a tragic situation. Jimmy's body was found in the river the next day, and Larry has been arrested and charged with first-degree murder. I can't imagine what Jimmy's family is going through right now, and I'm sure Larry's family is in shock as well. It's a reminder that we never really know what someone is capable of, and how quickly a seemingly innocent situation can turn deadly. Sorry if add a ton of unnecessary details, but I don't know what is or is not relevant or important. Also, I am unsure if this was a cryptic or black magic. This is my mom's encounter from the 60s when my mom was 15. I can't ask her really specific details because she hates talking about this encounter. When my mom was 15, she went with her aunt, aunt's friend, and two of her cousins to a small town near Cartagena, Colombia. They stayed with her other aunt, who apparently was into black magic, her son. My mom emphasized how she believed that aunt's son should have murdered her if he had the chance. Black magic aunt also had a black cat that my mother described as strange and demonic. They stayed with her black magic aunt for three days. On the second day, my mom, her normal aunt, and aunt's friend decided to punch holes into an old box, trap the cat, and put it on a car leading straight to Cartagena. That night, they had their encounter. My mom said shortly after the sun set, the house started to shake. It shook with such force that she believed that house would collapse. Her cousins were asleep before the house began to shake, but her aunt and aunt's friend were awake. The three of them cowered in fear for hours. My mom managed to fall asleep because prayed the rosary while focusing on a Mary statue in her math class. In the morning after the house stoked shaking normal aunt and aunt's friend woke my mom and her cousins rushed them to a cab with their luggage and left before magic aunt or her son awoke. My mom has told this story thousands of time and I believe it to be 100% true. I'm curious about what she encounters that night and want to learn more about it. Any info will be greatly appreciated. I know it sounds like black magic, but that cat makes me wonder. Also, my mom did put food and water in the box, as well as tell the driver about the cat and to let it out when they reached the city. I still remember the eerie feeling I had that night. It was dark, and my friend and I were walking to the service station just five minutes away from my house. We were talking about the Australian Skinner Boys, also known as the NSW Body Snatchers, when I warned my friend not to look into the trees or acknowledge anything strange. After grabbing some food, we decided to hang around the park for a bit. But as it started to get dark, we knew we had to make our way back. The paddock was almost right in front of my house, and I was familiar with the goats and horse that lived there, but I noticed there were no cows. Little did I know that was about to become important. As we were walking, we suddenly heard a screeching noise that sounded like a cow being attacked. I was unsure if I was hallucinating, so I turned to my friend and asked if she had heard it too. 
She confirmed that she did, and that's when I knew we had to stay calm and quietly make our way to the front of my house. I could feel the anxiety rising within us as we walked, the feeling of being watched looming over us. This wasn't the first time this had happened to us. We had encountered a small snake that turned into a feral dog and chased us back to my house before. It seemed like we were always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Finally, we made it to the front of the house and breathed a sigh of relief. The rest of the night was spent with us feeling uneasy, but luckily, nothing else happened. Looking back on that night, I realized how important it was to stay calm and not make any sudden movements. It's always better to be safe than sorry, especially when it comes to encounters with unknown creatures. When I was 13, 14, me and my friends would sneak out and go hang out with our boyfriends out in the middle of nowhere. We lived basically in the middle of nowhere, so going to random backroads was pretty much our only option for having fun. We would go to this place called the locals called the tunnel. It was just a dirt road with tall trees and overgrown willows on both sides. It was very secluded, so we would go there to drink beer, smoke weed, and make out with our boyfriends. They would always tell us spooky stories of a large black dog that would chase their car every time they went down there at night. They said one time they went there during the day and they saw the dog dead and mangled on the side of the road. The next time they went back at night, the black dog was alive and well and chasing after their car again. I knew they were just telling us these stories to scare us, and I wasn't sure if I really believed them, since I had came down to this place with them a few times and I had never seen the black dog. One night around one or two in the morning, we were sitting in our friend's car in the tunnel. We had all been drinking and smoking weed. We were all joking and laughing when suddenly the driver whispers, what is that up there? I looked and didn't see anything, so I replied, there's nothing up there, your eyes are playing tricks on you. No, seriously, there's something in the road up there, he replies. The guy sitting in the passenger seat agrees and says he sees something too. The driver puts the car in drive and starts slowly rolling forward and a figure emerges from the dark. A man in shorts is standing in the middle of the road watching us drive towards him. This is a dirt road in the middle of nowhere at two in the morning on a very cold fall night and this man is standing in the road wearing nothing but shorts. Not even shoes on, just shorts. What the F is he doing? The driver says as he pushes on the brakes and stops the car. We all stare for a moment at this man just staring at us. His eyes were glowing like a deer's eyes do in headlights. I've never seen a person's eyes glow like that before. We all start freaking out and then the driver says F this and starts driving forward. Fast. The man just keeps staring at us until we get about 10 feet away and then he just calmly walks to the side of the road and vanishes. There was nowhere for him to go. There was six feet tall fences with willows overgrown over the fence, making the barrier at least 10 feet tall. No human man could have cleared all of that. I still can't explain it to this day. Lived alone in a sub-basement flat once. A lot of weird things happened that I put down to the fact I was constantly tired from working split shifts six days a week. Honestly, if it was something else, it was actually super helpful. 
I'd come home knowing I really needed to put a clothes wash on, and when I got in I'd find my clothes were clean, that kind of thing, but it was happening a lot. I really thought that my schedule was so messed up that I was doing things and not remembering doing them, so I was more concerned that I was losing my mind than being haunted. Anyway, the thing I really can't explain away is the time I was lying on my couch, and I noticed something catching the light on a glass panel on the door, got up to look at it, and saw it was a kiss mark. But basically from that moment on I was finding them all over the place, on mirrors, on the other doors, even on the stove top, basically any shiny surface. I may have been washing clothes without remembering, but I definitely wasn't going around kissing things in my flat. Oh, and also I would often find my front door wide open despite being sure that I'd locked it, or at least shut it, which made me think that maybe a living human was getting into my place and doing weird shit. The anticipation in the Thompson family was palpable as we embarked on our long-anticipated camping trip to Yellowstone National Park. It was a dream vacation, an escape from the hustle and bustle of our busy lives. Tom, my husband Sarah, our two kids Emily and Ethan, and I were eager to immerse ourselves in the heart of nature and create memories that would last a lifetime. The first few days of our trip were like scenes from a dream. We explored pristine wilderness, hiked along scenic trails, and marveled at the grandeur of the park's natural wonders. Our evenings were filled with campfire stories that made us laugh and shiver with delight. We gazed at the star-studded sky, feeling like a small part of something much greater. But then, on the fourth night, as we gathered around the campfire to roast marshmallows, an eerie silence fell upon the forest. The sounds of the night, once comforting, grew muted and distant. Our jovial conversation dwindled, replaced by a gnawing sense of unease. Suddenly, the tranquility was shattered by a barrage of strange, inhuman noises that pierced the night. Low, guttural growls resonated through the trees, and the snapping of branches echoed ominously. Our once familiar surroundings had transformed into something sinister, something we couldn't comprehend. Fear gripped us, and we huddled together, clutching our flashlights and knives, hoping the light would ward off the growing unease. In the shroud of darkness, we glimpsed massive, shadowy figures lurking at the edge of our campsite. Our hearts raced as we realized we were not alone in this remote part of the park. Panic set in as we recognized the looming threat of formidable predator whose nature remained a mystery. With adrenaline surging, we made a split-second decision to flee our campsite. Several years ago, my friend Charlie and I embarked on a hiking trip to the breathtaking canyons of New Mexico. We were drawn by the promise of untouched landscapes and the sheer thrill of adventure. Little did we know, we were about to encounter something that would change our perception of reality forever. It was our third day on the trail. We were in a remote part of the canyon, miles away from civilization. The sun was beginning to set casting long shadows across the rugged terrain. We decided to set up camp near the base of a towering cliff. As we were collecting firewood, Charlie suddenly froze. He pointed towards a spot on the cliff face. I squinted, trying to make out what he was pointing at. Then I saw it. A figure, pitch black, almost blending with the shadows. It was thin, unnaturally so, 
with long arms ending in what seemed to be claws. Its skin had an unnatural shiny black sheen, like it was coated in an oil slick. We stood there frozen, watching as it scaled the cliff with an agility that was both mesmerizing and terrifying. It moved like some sort of grotesque, twisted parody of Spider-Man, its long limbs contorting in ways that seemed impossible. Suddenly, it stopped. Its head turned, and I felt a cold shiver run down my spine. It had noticed us. For a moment, it seemed to consider us, its form eerily still against the cliff face. Then, with a speed that made my heart pound in my chest, it scurried up the cliff and disappeared into the darkness. Charlie and I were left standing in stunned silence, the echoes of our encounter lingering in the air. We quickly decided to move camp, neither of us comfortable sleeping so close to the creature's haunt. To this day, we refer to that encounter as our Black Spider-Man. I was hiking in the Catskills. I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but I come up to the Catskills fairly regularly throughout the year because sometimes the Piconos just get a little boring. I started at the trailhead parking lot where I parked my car and began walking up the same trail that I've walked up 1,000 times. After about an hour, I started to feel kind of weird. It felt like the woods were a little bit quieter than they usually were when I had come up here before, but I wasn't initially very concerned about it. After I sat down to have breakfast, I started hearing rustling above me, and some sticks fell down right behind me. I wasn't really worried about this either, as I just assumed it was some squirrels running around or some chipmunks throwing things at me. This has happened to me before. I finished my breakfast without incident and kept walking toward the summit. This was fairly early in the morning around 6 a.m., so I would think there would be a lot of birds chirping and a lot of other activity, but things just kept getting quieter and quieter as I ascended. This definitely creeped me out, but I tried to push it out of my mind because I've already been hiking for a while at this point, and I'm definitely not turning around. Eventually, more sticks fell to my right, somewhat close to me, and they sounded heavier. These were at the kind of small twigs that would generally fall from squirrel activity. I went over and checked them, and these were fairly substantial. This continued to happen in a higher frequency until I finally reached the end of the trail. On my way back, it happened continuously, increasing in frequency as I descended, until suddenly it just kind of stopped when I was about a mile from the car. When I finally returned to my car, I found all of the doors open, and it seemed like a lot of my stuff had been very violently rummaged through. I had a bag in there with some of my clothes in it, and this had been torn up. A lot of my clothes were outside of the car, leading back into the woods. I thought about calling the police, but I live in Philadelphia, so I knew there wasn't really anything that was going to happen. To this day, I still get freaked out when I think about it. I don't necessarily think it was connected, but I do feel really uneasy about both of these things happening at the same time. Then again, maybe I was just robbed. I had always thought of Texas as a place of vast open spaces, friendly faces, and a whole lot of barbecue. It was the Lone Star State after all, with its proud history and cowboy heritage. But everything I had ever known about Texas was about to be turned on its head. It started as a whisper, 
a rumor circulating among the residents of my small Texan town. At first, I dismissed it as nothing more than local gossip, the kind of talk that often filled the air in a place where everyone knew everyone else's business. But as the days passed, the whispers grew louder, and the fear in people's eyes became impossible to ignore. It was on a hot summer afternoon when I first heard the dreaded phrase that had become the centerpiece of every conversation in town, the sightings. No one dared speak of it explicitly, as if uttering its name would make it all the more real. But the fear was palpable, a dark cloud that hung over our community. The sightings had reportedly begun deep in the heart of the vast Texan wilderness where few ventured. Hunters, campers, and even seasoned outdoorsmen had returned with stories that chilled the bravest of hearts. They spoke of strange, unearthly creatures lurking in the shadows, creatures that defied explanation and sent shivers down their spines. I couldn't ignore it any longer. The mystery had seeped into every corner of our town, and curiosity gnawed at me like a relentless itch. I decided to investigate to uncover the truth behind the whispered horrors that haunted our Texan home. With camera in hand, I ventured into the dense woods, guided only by the stories and rumors that had permeated our community. The forest felt different, as if it held its breath in anticipation of what I might discover. My steps were cautious, every rustle of leaves setting my heart racing. As I delved deeper into the wilderness, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. The branches of the towering trees seemed to close in on me, their leaves casting eerie shadows on the ground. I pushed forward, determined to confront whatever lay at the heart of this mystery. And then I saw it. Amidst the trees, a creature unlike anything I had ever imagined stood before me. It was tall, and possibly so, with elongated limbs that seemed to reach for the heavens. Its body was a grotesque amalgamation of shapes and colors, a nightmarish collage of the unknown. Its eyes, if you could call them that, glowed with an unnatural light that pierced through the darkness. Fear coursed through my veins as I lifted my camera, my hands trembling. I had to capture this unearthly being to prove to myself and the world that it existed. But as I raised the camera to my eye, the creature vanished, as if it had never been there at all. I stood alone in the silent woods, my heart pounding, and the weight of the unknown pressing upon me. I had seen what the town had feared, what had driven them to whisper in hushed tones and avoid the wilderness. The truth was far more terrifying than any rumor or legend. I returned to town with no photographic evidence, only the chilling certainty that something inexplicable dwelled in the heart of Texas. The fear had a name now, an image, and it had become a part of our shared consciousness. The sightings would continue to haunt us, a dark secret lurking in the Lone Star State, forever changing the way we saw our beloved Texas. Living just outside Appalachia, life is peaceful, steeped in the serene beauty of nature. One day, my friend and I decided to take a walk back to my house through the dense forest. The air was cool and crisp, a typical day in our quiet corner of the world. Our conversation was interrupted by a strange noise. A long, scraping sound echoed through the trees. My first thought was that it was a woodpecker, but the sound didn't quite fit. It was too harsh, too rhythmic. Intrigued, we decided to investigate. As we ventured deeper into the forest, an unsettling feeling washed over us. 
It was like stepping into a shadow, a sudden drop in temperature that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. We exchanged a look, both of us feeling the same eerie sensation. The forest, once filled with the sounds of chirping birds and rustling leaves, seemed to hold its breath. The scraping sound continued louder now, but there was something else, a feeling of being watched. It was as if the trees had eyes, scrutinizing our every move. We decided to turn back, the unease growing with each step. As we walked back to my house, the feeling persisted. We kept looking over our shoulders, half expecting to see something or someone lurking in the shadows. But there was nothing, just the dense forest and the ominous silence. Then, as abruptly as it had started, the scraping noise stopped. But the feeling of being watched remained. We quickened our pace, eager to leave the forest behind. We finally reached my house, a wave of relief washing over us. We were safe, but the questions lingered. What was that noise? Why did we feel watched? Was it just our imagination playing tricks on us, or was there something more? In the safety of my home, we pondered over our experience. Was it a prankster, a wild animal, or something else entirely? We couldn't say for sure. As the day gave way to night, we decided to let it go. Maybe it was just one of those unexplainable things, a mystery that would remain unsolved. But one thing was certain. We would never forget that strange, eerie feeling in the heart of the forest. We would always wonder what was out there, watching us from the shadows. I live in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in northeast Georgia. It's a beautiful area with hundreds of miles of national forest, some great state parks, and a ton of fantastic camping places. Unfortunately, my hometown is also relatively poor. While there are some out-of-town residents from Atlanta and other places, a lot of people where I live are really poor. I do freelance work as a technical writer, so I can do most of my work online. If I didn't have that going for me, I'd have to move somewhere else. It's just one of those small towns that will rob you of your ability to accomplish anything in life if you stay there too long without anything else going for you, at least. Excluding a handful of doctors and lawyers and Georgia Power Company employees, the only employment in the area is at Walmart, fast food, and a couple of grocery stores. To the east of my town, there's a massive national forest. It's loaded with great camping sites and lots of relatively unused hiking trails. I really enjoy hiking on them with my dog, but it can be a bit of an unnerving experience sometimes. It's about a 10-mile drive from town, and there's no cell phone service or homes for miles. In the past, there have been a lot of vehicle break-ins at the trailheads. The gravel parking lots at some of them glitter with bits of broken glass from what I'm guessing were car windows. Sometimes, there are really shifty people hanging around these trailheads or just driving around on the forest service roads. These are really rough roads, and you'll see these beat-up $500 cars just barreling along roads meant for a 4x4. Some of the people you see in the cars look like the guy that got crushed by an ATM in Breaking Bad. All that being said, it's still a great place to camp. However, you just have to be careful. A few years ago, two of my friends and I decided to go play paintball in the National Forest. Probably not legal, I know. We decided to turn the paintball expedition into a camping trip so we could play the next morning too. 
After a pretty uneventful day of shooting paintballs at each other, we drive a couple of miles to one of the more popular camping spots. Unfortunately, a church group or something had taken up all the spots in the area. This was really the only camping spot that we were familiar with, and it was getting pretty late. We decide to keep on looking, so we drive for about an hour further and further into the woods. By this time, it's getting a bit dark, and we're getting a bit worried about finding a spot. We all had GPS on our smartphones, but none of us had any service. We turn off onto an unfamiliar road that isn't in very good shape. In fact, it looks like the Forest Service Rangers used a backhoe to block off the road with a mound of dirt. A broken metal barrier lay in the woods nearby. That said, it looked like four by four vehicles had been going over the mound, so it was pretty worn down. Our F-150 had pretty high clearance, so we decided to go over the mound. There was an old gravel road on the other side, and the road was pretty much clear of debris. We drove a few miles down this road and came across an opening next to a small creek. There were some blue tarps hanging over a plywood table nailed to a tree, which seemed kind of odd. That said, it was pretty much dark at this point, and we didn't want to keep driving around all night looking for a camping spot. We left the truck light running, and we set up the tent. As we were setting up the tent, I started to notice that there was a lot of trash in the woods surrounding the site. I see a green bottle laying on the ground. I take a look at the label and see that it's a bottle of home and garden insecticide. I was really tired at the time, and I just thought that someone had been dumping their home garbage out here. None of us thought it was weird that someone would be dumping garbage in an area that is more than an hour from the nearest home. We set up camp, had some beers, and made chili from scratch. By this time, it was probably around 11 p.m. As we're eating, we notice a faint glow from the other side of a nearby hill. At first, we thought it was moonlight filtering its way through the trees. However, the angles didn't make sense. It didn't seem to be a bright light, and it wasn't moving. It was kind of like that glow you see over a bright city. We couldn't see the light source itself, though. Since there were no other access roads in the area, we decided it wasn't other campers. The hill was about a quarter mile from our campsite, so we decided to go investigate. Under normal circumstances, I know I wouldn't have done so. However, we all had a few rum and cokes in our stomachs, and two of us, Jacob and I, decide to take a look. My other friend, Isaac, decides to stay behind to pop some popcorn over the fire. We start walking towards the light source, and the situation gets even stranger. All the trees in the area have their bark knocked off in a circle around their trunks. We thought it could have been the work of a beaver that lived in the creek, but it seemed strange that a beaver would go around all these trees and just knock the bark off in a circle. Jacob and I start talking about the ghost beaver in pretty loud voices, probably due to our drunkenness. As we're almost to the top of the hill, Jacob tripped and yelled, Oh shit! A few seconds after he yelled, the light, whatever it was, went out. We look at each other and decide that maybe we don't need to see what that light was after all. We walk back in silence and keep looking back every few seconds. We decide to turn off our flashlight and just use the moonlight to get back to the campsite. When we get a couple of hundred feet from the campsite, I can see my other friend Isaac walking around the campsite. He was wearing a hooded coat that I hadn't seen him wearing before. 
For some reason, he's carrying his paintball gun around in his hand. That seemed a little odd, we said to each other. The fire had started to die down, so we couldn't see our campsite very well. At this point, we'd probably been gone for almost an hour. From the distance, it looked like Isaac was looking for something. He kept walking around the site and was peering in the tent. When we were almost back to the campsite, we saw Isaac walk up the road we came in on. We figured that he was going to go use the bathroom and didn't want to wander through the woods like us. When we got back, we sat next to the fire and waited for Isaac to come back. All of a sudden, we see him lurch out of the tent. He stumbles a few feet and vomits. After we left, he had a few more rum and cokes, he mumbles. We ask him why he kept wandering around the campsite with the paintball gun, and he gets a strange look on his face. They're locked up in the cab of the truck. Did you unlock it? We go and check the truck, enter the door code, and see all our paintball equipment just as we left it before. The keys to the truck were still hidden in a magnetic fob underneath. I get a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. Isaac, what were you doing after we left, I ask. Um, I was watching a movie on my phone, then I fell asleep, I guess. But, you were walking around with your paintball gun, right? Did you just change jackets? Isaac said he had been in the tent since we left, and that he had been wearing the same unhooded fleece all night. Someone had been walking around our campsite, and it wasn't Isaac. At this point, all of us are way too drunk to drive, but we decide to go ahead and pack up and go back to my house for the night. We don't bother packing up the tent. We just fold it down with the sleeping bags and everything in it. We jump in the F-150, and I start to drive out. When we get to the dirt hump, we see something gray blocking our path. The metal barrier that had been lying in the woods earlier is now back on its stand, right on top of the hump earlier. By this point, all of us have sobered up to the situation. No one wants to get out of the car to try to move the barrier. I had a metal guard on the front of the F-150, so I drive forward slowly, tapping the metal barrier with the front of my truck. It falls right off it must have just have been balanced on top, and we drive over it slowly. We were terrified that it would pop one of the truck's tires as we drove over it, but it didn't. As we drive down the road, we see a vehicle following us with its lights off. It's probably 1,000 feet behind us, but we keep catching glimpses of it as the moon reflects light off it. I start to drive as fast as I can on the Forest Service Road, and the other vehicle keeps pace. It doesn't get any closer, though it stays just one or two turns behind us. We can only see it when the road straightens out. After about 45 minutes of speeding along gravel roads, we make it back to the main paved road. I start to drive everyone back to my house, but I decide to go a different way just to be safe. I didn't get pulled over for a DUI, luckily. Camping can be fun, but very rural camping can be dangerous. I've driven past that metal barrier since that time, but it's always been in place. I would never go down that road again, though. When I was a child playing in the woods with my sister, I kept hearing noises behind me. I assumed it was an animal. I ignored it for a while. I started to get a bad feeling. I kept glancing around. I didn't see anything at first. Some time goes by. 
Out of nowhere, something started running full speed towards us. We ran like hell. For a moment while running away, I looked over my shoulder. I saw a silhouette of a person hunched over like a running back chasing us. Fortunately, our house was not far and we made it inside fine. Our parents didn't believe us when we told them. They played it off to our imagination. I will never know what his intentions were. I got an evil feeling that words can't explain from that situation. My grandfather's story always haunted me. It was a story he would recount only in hushed tones, under the cover of darkness, as if the very act of speaking those words could summon the horrors he witnessed. He was a member of a special forces team sent into the Chernobyl exclusion zone after the nuclear catastrophe. Their mission, retrieve critical data and secure dangerous materials. I remember sitting by the fireplace, my grandfather's weary eyes locked onto mine as he began his chilling narrative. We arrived in the dead of night, he'd say, his voice trembling with the weight of memories. The radiation was suffocating, a silent, invisible menace that clung to everything. Their objective was clear, but the zone was a different world, a twisted, eerie landscape where nature and technology had fused in grotesque harmony. The hostile forces that once stood as human sentinels now wore the deranged faces of mutants. My grandfather's team moved in silence, avoiding confrontation whenever possible. It was on the third night that they saw it, that enigmatic creature. They were huddled near the forest's edge, cloaked in shadows. We heard a rustling, my grandfather would recount, and then it happened. A huge, humanoid horse-looking thing sprinted out of the forest into a moonlit field. It was surreal, running like the wind, clocking in at a blistering 40 miles per hour. He would describe how it moved, hunched and limping, yet powerful. Its lean, muscular form was completely pale, almost gray, and it was naked as the day it was born. They couldn't shoot at it, not with the omnipresent radiation threatening to poison their very souls, but my grandfather would swear on his life that the creature wasn't from this world. Its presence radiated otherness, an alien quality that sent shivers down his spine. The rest of the mission blurred into a haze of nightmares. They secured the data, neutralized threats, and returned from that cursed place, but the memories of that creature lingered like a shadow over my grandfather's life. As years passed, the Chernobyl incident exacted its toll. My grandfather, once a pillar of strength, slowly withered away. Cancer, the relentless phantom, claimed him, as it had claimed so many others who had dared to tread in that deadly zone. It was as if the very radiation he had breathed in had seeped into his very soul, corrupting it, just as it had corrupted the land. And so, my grandfather's story lived on in me, a chilling testament to the horrors of Chernobyl. I often wonder about that unknown creature, a twisted symbol of the zone's twisted reality. Was it a mutation, a product of radiation, or something far more sinister? I may never know, but one thing remains certain. The scars of Chernobyl run deep, touching generations and leaving behind tales of unspeakable darkness. Me and my friend Cass decided to go on a drive about an hour ago because there was a spot I'd been looking at going to at night because it was secluded and a good spot to smoke in general. 
Around when we started talking about it, he noted that he started smelling something sweet, cherries, and a hint of cigar. I was familiar with this entity as it's been around my room since I moved in back in 2020. It's not a malevolent entity and is actually quite kind. Cass stated that it felt like he'd been hugged and just overall felt comfortable with the entity around him. So we go on the drive and we're talking and all, and we turned down the last road until the destination when I saw a tree down in the road. It didn't block the road completely, but it was too narrow of a gap for my car to fit. Well, I knew a back road that led to the same destination, so we turned around and headed down that way. It was a very wooded back road. No service, very few houses for miles and surrounded by trees. It was the type of road to only have one lane because of how unused it is. As I'm driving, we're talking and we pass over a bridge. I pointed out as a spot I wanted to take him another time since it's just a neat area. Not long after we passed it, he said, did you see that? It's a very curvy road, so I initially assumed it was an animal as I hadn't seen anything. I asked what he saw and he said, it looked like something that crossed the road. Immediately I got an intense feeling of dread. I asked if he felt it too and he confirmed that he did so I stopped the car, took a moment, and immediately said, we're not supposed to be here. He agreed and I turned around, heading back to where we just came. The dread got more intense, but after crossing the bridge it eased, but was still there. I stated that whatever it was isn't allowed to follow us home, and it wasn't allowed on my property. It started to disappear, and we kept seeing things along the road like shadows. As I was driving to the main road, a white truck pulled up very fast to a stop sign on a side road, almost as if out of thin air, and pulled out behind us. I didn't take much note of it until I looked in my rear view and saw it tailing the hell out of us. I pointed it out and Cass said he didn't like the feeling he got from the truck. We got to the stop sign that lead out to the main road, and I purposefully didn't turn my blinker on in case it was following us. But the truck did, and it was turning the same way as us. After I made the turn I waited a few moments before looking back in the rear view and it was gone. It disappeared into thin air. The drive home was silent and Cass waited until we got back to talk about things he knew and should have thought of before we even got in the car. I was telling the story to a friend over Discord and asked Cass to describe the thing he saw on the road, asking if it walked on two legs or four. He said, It didn't have legs. It was brown and looked like a head that just crossed the road. Asking him about it now, he said that it was tall, taller than the doorframe of my closet, and he saw it from a distance so he didn't know what its body looked like. I asked if it could have been a bat, and he emphasized that it couldn't have been. During the drive home, we both noted that it felt like there was a hand on each of our shoulders. He pointed out that the log in the road could have been a sign not to go, as well as the friendly entity that appeared in my room beforehand. I'm thinking it's a certain W-word entity names hold power, and I will not refer to it by name. This happened in Alabama. The vast, frozen wilderness of Alaska was our hunting ground. Our objective was simple, caribou. The trip began as any other, a group of us, seasoned hunters, stepping into the icy tundra, armed with rifles and a lifetime of experience. What we encountered there, however, was far beyond our wildest imaginations. It started with the tracks. 
unusual enormous, with a stride that suggested a creature of immense size. They were like nothing we'd ever seen, unlike any beast known to modern science. A sense of unease spread among us, but we were hunters. We followed the tracks drawn by the allure of the unknown. The Alaskan weather, always fickle, took a turn for the worse. A blizzard blew in, an unforgiving wall of snow and wind that reduced visibility to mere feet. But the tracks were fresh, and the promise of uncovering the creature that made them drove us forward. It was a mistake. The blizzard was relentless, the cold biting through our gear. And then, through the swirling snow, we saw it. A monstrous silhouette, enormous and hulking against the white landscape. Its eyes glowed an eerie blue, and it let out a sound that chilled us to the bone, a deep, resonating growl that echoed across the tundra. The creature attacked. It was quick, far quicker than its size suggested. We fought back, our rifles lighting up the blizzard, but it was like shooting at a shadow. One by one, my fellow hunters fell, their screams lost in the howling wind. In the end, it was just me. Wounded, half-frozen, I lay in the snow, the taste of blood in my mouth. The creature loomed over me, its massive form a terrifying sight against the blizzard. I closed my eyes, accepting my fate. But then, a sound cut through the storm, a sound that spelled hope. The thumping blades of a helicopter. I looked up, squinting against the snow, and there it was, a rescue helicopter hovering above. I raised my hand, mustering the last of my strength to wave. The creature, startled by the noise, retreated into the storm, its monstrous form disappearing into the white. I don't remember much after that. The cold, the pain, the blinding light of the helicopter's searchlight, and then blackness. I woke up in a hospital bed, my body a network of bandages and IV lines. I was the sole survivor, a testament to the dual threats of nature's wrath and the monstrous creature of the Alaskan tundra. The memory of the creature's glowing eyes still haunts me, a chilling reminder of the unknown dangers lurking in the wilderness. I've spent my entire life in the woods, hunting and living off the land. It was a way of life passed down to me by my father and uncle, and now I was passing it on to my cousin. One particular day, we were out on a woodcock hunt. My dad, uncle, cousin, and our dogs were positioned to my left in the thick woods. I was stationed on the outskirts, ready to shoot any birds that tried to escape. I was in a relatively open area, scattered trees standing sentinels far apart from each other. My dad was just inside the edge of the woods, barely 20 feet away from me. Something, a gut instinct perhaps, prompted me to look to my right. The area was wide open, offering a clear view for at least a hundred yards. As I turned, I noticed a man about twenty feet away from me, walking directly towards me with his head down. He wore a red shirt, a brown vest, blue jeans, and a brown Jones-style hunting cap. His hair was black, but he was unarmed, with no gun in sight. Confused, I turned to my dad and pointed out the stranger. However, when he looked in the direction I was pointing, he replied, what man? I swiveled my gaze back to where the man had been just seconds before, but he was gone. He had disappeared without a trace. There were no hiding spots in sight. The landscape was too open, too bare. It bothered me for a long time. I was certain I hadn't been hallucinating. The man was solid, 
his details etched in my mind with crystal clarity. This was just one of many strange, unexplainable experiences I've had in these woods. The mystery of the disappearing man was yet another testament to the fact that there's much we don't understand about the world around us. About seven years ago, I was a ranger in Colorado. I relished the job, the outdoors, the communion with nature, the respect for animals and plants that it demanded. My duties included patrolling the trails and park maintenance. A high degree of fitness was required, something I had back then. I'd recommend it to any nature enthusiast or social butterfly. However, a car accident resulting in a severe right knee fracture forced me to quit. My knee never fully recovered, and I couldn't stand for extended periods, rendering the job unfeasible. Now, here's a story from that time, two years prior to my accident. It was winter, the sun set early, and I found myself working late alone in the park. My task was to clean up the trash left by visitors and clear debris from the trails. That particular night, there was an unusual amount of trash left behind. Time escaped me as I meticulously worked to ensure trail safety. My life was simple at that time, single, childless, with only my dogs awaiting my return home. So working late wasn't much of an issue. Amid the tranquil park silence, a sudden loud noise like a heavy object dropping jarred me. Thinking it a fallen branch, I ventured towards the source. Nothing lay on the ground. As I pondered this, another similar sound echoed from a different direction. I saw the silhouette of a small person, almost childlike, behind a tree. This was unusual. Nobody was supposed to be there that late. My initial curiosity turned into concern. I called out to them, but in response they started running. I gave chase, not to chastise, but to ensure they didn't lose themselves in the dangerous woods. However, they vanished from sight. I was taken aback at their speed. Despite being a seasoned runner, I failed to keep up. Reporting the incident to my supervisor, I was instructed to wait for assistance. But another thud sounded behind me, in the opposite direction of our chase. The small figure reappeared behind another tree. It was puzzling how they had circled around me without detection. Despite my calls, they fled again, leaving me disoriented and lost in the woods. In my desperate attempts to contact my supervisor for help, I found my cell service had disappeared. Fear began to take hold. After hours of futile wandering, I decided to rest and wait for dawn. Waking to the sight of a woman and her child walking a trail mere meters from me left me baffled. I had no memory of being anywhere near a trail. For months following this unsettling experience, nightmares haunted me. My colleagues searched for both me and the stranger that night without success. They surmised that a prankster teenager and my exhaustion had caused the whole ordeal. I knew that wasn't the truth, but I couldn't explain what actually transpired that night. Maybe you can make sense of it. On June 22, 2013, I, Officer Jameson, spotted what I can only describe as a dogman in the middle of a dirt road. It was standing on its hind legs, staring directly at me. This case intrigued me, given the proximity to my home and the fact that this creature has reportedly been sighted by locals since 1995, including my own encounter. 
I've since engaged with several individuals who claim to have witnessed the creature. Two separate people relayed to me their encounters with the dogmen in the Kempner area, located just off of US-75 between Crum and Sanger, in Texas and Cotton, Oklahoma. In my discussions with several residents of the area, including a former police officer, it became apparent that this creature has been spotted numerous times over the years. My first exposure to this phenomenon came from a local government official of a nearby town who wished to remain anonymous. He shared with me that his family members living in Kempner had relayed their encounters with the dogmen, including multiple instances of the creature chasing deer. Further investigation led me back to my own 1995 sighting of the peculiar creature. I also came across recent cell phone images captured by an Oklahoma construction worker. These images reveal an animal standing upright, like a human, near the I-35 between Durant and Gainesville, heading into Texas. My encounter and the compelling evidence I had gathered prompted me to reach out to other officials specializing in cryptozoology. We reached a consensus that this creature could indeed be a dogma. We also considered it may be the same creature reported to be preying on livestock in southern Oklahoma near Lawton, dating back decades. We even hypothesized that this creature might be responsible for the killing and partial consumption of two calves in northern Fannin County back in 2011, and a horse in Cole County near Bromide in 2013. This was following a sighting by a school bus driver on Highway 69 east of Tishomingo, who also reported finding tracks in the vicinity. I've gathered more recent encounter stories from locals including a family who shared their potential Sasquatch encounters near their home. Armed with this information, my partner and I are gearing up to investigate the area further and search for possible denning sites. Wish me luck.